What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you can learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Right Place Right Now podcast. In every community, there seems to be a group of individuals that are responsible for catalyzing progress and growth. And if you're to ask around in Colorado Springs, that guy is today's guest, Yemi Mobilade. Yemi networks and collaborates for the health, growth, and prosperity of his beloved city. He makes his impact through economic development, entrepreneurship, community development, ministry, and leadership development. Currently, Yemi serves as a small business development administrator for the city of Colorado Springs, where he's the city's first point of contact for small businesses and startups. In this episode, we discuss with Yemi how to identify your personal strengths, influencing others to expand your impact, leaning into fear, and even normalizing failure. We hope that you get as much from this conversation as Travis and I did. Please help us welcome Yemi Mobilade to the Right Place Right Now podcast. Well, before we get into our conversation today, if you like what you're hearing and you haven't done so yet, please take a minute to leave us a review and a positive rating. It's the most effective way that you can help us get our message out there and reach more awesome people like you. Yemi, thanks for being with us today. I'm, I'm excited to sit down and uh, have a talk with you. How are you? I'm doing okay. I, you know, um, honestly, I've, I've been looking forward to this. This is a great way to end my work day. So I am pleased to see you, Travis, and make a new friend in Brandon, which we had some pre-conversations to the official conversation. And um, Brandon said a few things that got to my soul and, and made me tear up. And so I feel like I'm, I'm among great friends. And Travis, I've known you for a while now, and we're both fellow entrepreneurs, business people in, in the Colorado Springs ecosystem. So thank you for yes. having me. Yeah, definitely cut from the same mold for sure. Uh, right. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been super excited about this conversation for a while too. We've, with COVID, we haven't had a whole lot of chances to hang out recently. So I'm just right. excited to get to sit screen to screen from you for, uh, for a couple hours. Well, it's a new reality, screen to screen. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess I guess I'm I'm less excited about that as if it was person to person. But here we are. <laughs> right, 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 right. So you are involved in a lot of things. Your main job is is working for our city of Colorado Springs. Uh, what do you do there? So I work for the city of Colorado Springs as a small business development administrator. So I serve as the city's. Um, first point of contact to for entrepreneurs, business people that are looking to start a business in a great city or are trying to start a business and they run into some kind of challenge or roadblock or problem and they're stuck. My job is to help unstuck them. And then the third aspect of my job as, um, which I love the most as an entrepreneur is I get to be an entrepreneur within the system and I get to help make government work better for the people of Colorado Springs. And so exploring new technology and new processes and solutions to streamline delivery for our business citizens. And your, your point about what I, I do a lot of things, I, 
I just kind of want to get that out there because that is the number one question I get asked by so many people. Yemi, your name is attached to so many things. And I and I say, yeah, yes, it is. And they say, how do you do it all? And I, I, my response is usually, I don't do it all. I um, Part of who I am, it's breadth of relationship, breadth of initiative. That's the way I've been created. And that's part of finding my sweet spot, you know, understanding who I am, the way I work, my strengths, skills, and purpose. But part of that too is also my ability to work with others, collaborate, empower others, and develop others, and being willing to take risks with other partners. So I, I'm surrounded by a lot of great people. I have a part to play in many of these things, but I'm not the guy. This world does not need me to be the guy for every one of them. So um, it's great to be to be connected and to help at least move a number of good things forward. I just want to get that out there. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming. <laughs> oh, we're done? <laughs> I mean, wow. How do you, uh, and I know you say you have all these people. So what is your role in facilitating those relationships? And where does that come from? Is that something that you've always been kind of in your peer group? Or is that something you developed over time? And I think you guys know the answer to this question. And it's one of the heart of this, this podcast is that there's a, there's a sweet spot between the two. I think some, some of those are perhaps strengths that we have within us. And it's a discovery, it's a process of discovery. Uh, but more often is you know, what you do with those skills and how you nurture that over, over time. Sometimes you accidentally stumble upon certain skills and honestly that's been a huge part of my story is realizing I still remember the first time I realized that I was good with people it blew me away <laughs> it really did no I, I kid you not I was I was I'm an immigrant came into this country that I love so much in um, back in 1996 I was a 17 year old um, international student in South Bend Indiana I went to a, a liberal arts Christian university and I came to the country um, as a young person, lost, I kid you not. Who I am today is not who I was back then. I came in lost, I came in hurt, I came in angry. I had a poor relationship with my dad. I couldn't get out of home fast enough. I remember, and trying to learn some of the cultural dynamics, I remember being in college and um, I'm flying halfway across the world, leaving my homeland and people would say, do you miss home? And they, they asked it in such a way that they expect an answer of, you know, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry you missed home. And I would look at them going, no, I actually am happy to be away from home. Um, that, but just to give you a background of where I was in that season of my life. Now, my dad and I, we have a, we have a great relationship. You know, that's part of um, my growth, my maturity, his growth, his maturity. But then it was not good. So I came in lost. I was a late bloomer, never really did much in terms of involvement in anything church, school, nothing, sports, you name it. And so I came in to the US with, a, with, a, with just kind of a, 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 I was lost in terms of who I was, what skills and abilities that I have. And, but what college afforded me the opportunity was to not have that family pressure and to be able to just experiment, try and fly and make mistakes and get back up. Um, and some of that was, you know, in freshman year in my speech class was bombing that big time. I was just really shaken. 
my friends who remember me from way back then, we still laugh about Yemi back then. And it's crazy for people to think about these days because they see me speaking and they're going, oh, you do a good job. I'm like, yeah, that's not always been the case. Um, part of that was, um, you know, just, just, I just kept trying. I just kept trying. And so um, my, by my sophomore year, um, going into my junior year, my college was fairly small enough that during our homecoming season, where alumni come back for, for the events in the sport, on campus we had we did a homecoming pa pageant. Now many people that have grown up in the U.S. understand what that is, and that was very common in high school. Never even I didn't know what that was, so I, I didn't I didn't even know that our school had that in my first year. So in my sophomore year, I get a call, I get a voicemail in my at the dorm room uh, on my answer machine. And the voicemail said I had been selected to for this, the homecoming experience and I being on the pageant. I remember turning to my roommate and asking him and saying, I have this weird message and being invited to be on the pageant. What does that mean? And my roommate looks at me and said, Yemi, that means people like you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> I, it was, I kid you not, it was, um, it was a complete shocker. I didn't know what to do with them. I'm like, what? People like me. Nobody ever told me that. Why do people like me? And so, and then I began to realize, oh, that that was true. And people like me enough that I ended up having a weird crown on my head. I'm like, what is this? You know, in this in this experience. And but what I began to realize was uh, it was a gift. Now, what do I do with that gift? And how can I leverage that gift to move the right things forward, the right causes, the right initiative? So it was, it was, it was something I didn't realize I possessed. That was just natural. But over time, as I owned it, I began to use it for good things. So that's that's an example of. Um, I didn't remember what the question was, but that's an example <laughs> of what you asked. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah, what what you're good at and what you love doing. Right. We, we talk also a lot about that on this podcast is that that intersection is such an important place to find yourself and to search for. Right. So as you're going through that experiment of finding yourself in college and starting to get your voice and a little more truth about who you are and you want to be, you have this aha moment and discovery that like people like me, I'm good with people. Obviously that wasn't an intentional effort that you built, but you kind of just naturally had, and then it slapped you in the side of the head. You're like, okay, I'm good at this. What's the intentionality though, once you discover that to use it to your advantage? Cause it looks like based off of going through your stuff, you were really good at connecting people and networking and setting people up to support one another. And like, it, I don't believe it's just enough to be a nice dude that everybody likes. Like prom <laughs> king doesn't control all that. Right. <laughs> huh? No, yeah, that's Brandon. That's a great question. It's, I mean, what because it was framed around this adolescent experience, you know, and that adolescent experience typically means you're well liked, which for me it still blows me away. To be honest, I I don't know how or why, um, and part of it was just being in a in an environment of I felt more free because uh, part of my story was feeling just put down and. Um, yeah, that's a whole different story. But um, so we, yeah, you're right, Brandon. It's not enough to just be liked. So that's an adolescent experience and that's a language we put around it. But a more mature language is, you know, having an ability to, in, the way I like to put it is having a, just a worry about a natural ability to lead people 
to own to influence people and leadership is all about influencing so more than being like is i have natural influence with people it's a god-given gift and i would confess that even in college i was just kind of going through it i didn't i i couldn't think of it as purposeful as i can today but the benefit of getting older and having more miles ahead of you is being able to look back and see common themes these common things are true every job i've had i've always seeing these things are, are true. And then knowing that and being able to take those common themes and just own it as a strength and begin to be more strategic about it. So um, let's fast forward. So when talking, that's 1996. Let's fast forward. There's a lot to that story, but now we're in 2012. It's been, uh, so 2013, I mean. So I've been in Colorado Springs now for three years. This is the birth of the Wild Goose. So never never started a business never waited tables the wild goose is the name of the business by the way oh thank you brandon the wild goose meeting house is located in downtown colorado springs and we are a cafe we're a community gathering place and we serve great food and beverages coffee tea wine beer and um thank you brandon so the wild goose was being birth, never waited table, never served, never um, been a barista, never been in that space. Collaborated with a friend, now a dear friend, my partner, Russ Ware. And uh, there was a lot that we both didn't know. And we're trying, we found this space and we're trying to build out the space. So influence with people, what do I do to make something or make something of this business that I've never done? So one of the things I did was reach out to a couple of strangers who are now dear friends of mine who taught me how to be baristas. I frequented another coffee shop and just made good friendship and put myself out there to be able to also help them. So I got I got trained. When when we when it came time for demo day, my business partner gives me a hard time. He goes, Yummy, only you would have 15 people come alongside of you and help you demo a whole space. But you know, so we're trying to save money. We're, we're trying to establish a business and in incorporate the spirit of who we are from the very beginning. So bringing community, but that was a, a strength and a skill of mine that I began to use strategically, you know, too. So every step of the business development process was very much being strategic and using this ability and influence with people to not only help solve, to only help bring answers to the things that we didn't know, but also help with the business development. What did you do in between college and the goose just quickly uh, graduated from college worked in uh, manufacturing i was in quality control rv manufacturing i have the most eclectic career of anybody i've ever known when i think back i'm going oh my goodness so yeah worked in manufacturing did quality control our company made axles rims brakes wheels for the rv rv companies this is goshen indiana well, i did that for about five years left and did a 180, went into ministry. Uh, grew up in, in church world and always served, volunteered, it led to a full-time job where I was able to use my musical skills to help with the worship ministry and then able to step into the realm of arts and graphics and some of those. And then I stepped into teaching in that space. And then I went through a crisis in my, in my young adult years and led to me becoming an entrepreneur and moving out west. So that's um, kind of a brief snapshot. But I would say that 
in every one of these occupations and many of them they're just all different I've, I've seen the same some of the same gifts are true again the benefit of getting older and looking looking back and going oh i'm seeing common themes here yeah music is not on your official resume but you are an incredible musician as well oh thank you thank you i appreciate that when did that yummy album drop <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I also found out that as much as I loved it, I, I didn't love it as a career. You know, when I, when I did a job, you know, I, Brandon, I had somebody ready to, to, at my church, ready to pay for an album. I kid you not. I told them not to. But when I opened The Wild Goose, I went back to this person and said, I know you're willing to pay for an album. Would you be willing to give me money instead for this business? And she did. <laughs> yeah, she did. She she actually wrote me a check. Her name is Judy. She wrote me a check for five thousand, and I asked her to invest. She did. She said, "I'm not going to invest, but I'm going to give you this five thousand, and for you to invest in your own business." Yeah, but this was the same lady that I wanted to pay for an album. <laughs> and here's the theme of this: you're so lucky. You're just in the right place at the right time that that lady wrote you a check. Right? It was just by luck that that happened. Nothing. To do with <laughs> It was, it was, you know, it's, I put myself out there. I didn't know if she would, she would transfer that, you know, our generosity to something different. But I had a, I had a, a sense that, oh, I think she believes in me. I don't know for sure. But on the flip side too, there's another guy too that was part of my church. And in his case, he said, whatever you need, I'm here to help. And he didn't help. So that was kind of a letdown too, but I have, I've had both. I've had people that have followed through and others that change your mind and there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. So you were connecting all these dots along the way. And I, that's one of the things that Travis and I, like we have very clear paths that kind of led to where we are and some intentional, some not. I, I would like to, even though we kind of rushed through that part, connect some of those dots because the big one of college, like people like me, and then you're going through those other discoveries. How do you build on that? And like, I, I think people have a hard time recognizing those type of things in themselves in those moments. Like you said, as I left jobs, I knew what was good that I took with me. How can somebody work on that self-discovery if they're stuck? Because I think there's a lot of breadcrumbs there to lead them to something like you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, there are, there's certainly different answers to this question. I'll give you from my own from my own journey and story is the willingness to take risk and try. And it's the biggest uh, advice I give young people, young leaders, and young folks that are wanting to grow in their career is the best way to learn what you want to do and not do is just to keep trying try different things, don't settle. And in, a, in, this, in the greatest and the most strangest way, nothing is ever wasted experience. Every professional experience, everything you do, it's kind of this weird nudge into the next thing. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know even how being in church world and doing music led me to the next thing, but all that experience led me to Colorado Springs, including I travel for a little bit doing music for, for a denomination. I ended up having its main base in Colorado Springs. And I met a friend, moved to California, reconnected with that friend, and then we ended up in Colorado Springs. Everything works in the end, but just take risk, keep trying and keep trying. And that's, 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 that's the biggest thing is life is too short. Uh, keep trying and then take every experience, every, every 
find time to reflect on what that experience was because I've had some horrible experiences too. I've worked for I've worked for some terrible bosses. Even that experience allows you to know the type of place you want to work for in the future and when you're interviewing for the next job. I think all those things are really important. So my answer is that experience. I will tell you this quick story. Spent five years in college, double majored. My first year out of college, I was trying to get a job as a management trainee, whether it was in a manufacturing company, banking industry. I went through the, eight, eight, uh, I went through the human resource process interview in, in this bank in, big bank in, in Northern Indiana. I met the HR recruiters at a Indiana University, like job fair. And I, you know, turned on my people skills, made some great connections, went to the interview, interviewed through four different people. And finally sitting down with the director of HR, he's the final person um, to interview me. And um, I just remember that interview. I felt like he, I is an older gentleman. I felt like he was almost like a, a father figure. And I was sitting there hearing his stories were going, it was very casual, which was crazy. I think at that point they decided to hire me. So it was just kind of the final process. And I'll never forget what he said, because he asked me about my career path and I didn't really know what, how to answer that. I'm just kind of getting started. I've only been in the country five years and still discovering myself. And he described our career path, his, mine, all of us, as a football game. The running back with the ball, you know, you're running and you're having stops along the way. You know, you're going, rarely do you go straight to the end zone. Rarely do you, are you able to just run 100 miles and, you know, it's, it's five yards here, it's 10 yards here, it's 15, and, you know, then it's, it's 30 from 15 to 30, and then it's another 35. I mean, you're just kind of, and, and it's, it's taking that ball and knowing that, you know, it's, it's, these, it's this moment of different experiences along the way and stops, but every part of the way you are moving forward to the end zone. And that always stuck with me. Um, he used the phrase experiences along the way in each one of these plays. And so I, I think that's, experiences and value and just being purposeful about why and what I'm taking from this to the next one. That's a great example. Every play, every experience gets you to the next play and the next experience. That's, that's such an interesting way to look at that. I find myself asking this question a ton on this podcast, but fear of failure. I love all of the different answers that we get to this question. How do you approach that? Like when you come up against something that's scary and new and you have this fear of like, I don't know if I have what it takes. How do you approach that? First of all, it's a real thing for leaders of all types. And when you are a type three in the Enneagram and the type three is the achiever and the primary motivation has to do with a feeling of self-worth and significance and not failing. And then in the strength finders by Gallup theory, you know, they have a strength finder, the top five strengths. I happen to have achiever and significance in mind in my top five strengths. So I'm cursed. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I, so fear of failure is a real thing. But every time I get to that point where I feel crippled, the two things I think about, one, is I think we lean in. I think we lean in harder. It's um, how was I able to overcome my fear of speaking? I got an advice that said, 
Yummy say yes to every speaking opportunity. And so when I would get opportunities to speak, I would get close to turning it down every time, <laughs> every time. And then something in me says, oh yeah, that's the very thing you need to overcome. So say yes, even though you don't know how you're gonna do. And yeah, there've been, I still think of a couple of situations where I bombed it real bad. And my fear of failure, those, those experiences still haunt me till today. You would think I would have gotten over that because some of them are like 15 years ago and I still think of it like towards. I think we all still have those, <laughs> those actual failures that we had fear about, right? Like th those are real also. If you're putting yourself out there and you're doing new things and it's scary, you're gonna fail. You're like you, Brene Brown says, if you are in the arena, you will know failure. It's just true. So what do you do with that failure afterwards? It's a part of your story now, so it's not going away, right? That that just it reinforces the fact that you have a fear of failure in the first place, right? Right. So in those moments, like what what are those moments, especially as a an Enneagram three, when you do when like when that fear of failure comes true. What does what what do you do with that? How do you handle those experiences? I it's what I was getting at, I think you just you just kind of lean in. I think um it's this whole buffaloes versus cow analogy where the buffaloes leaning and lean into the storm and the cows run away and it just the storm catches up with them and it's just a one big mess. Buffaloes lean in and you know try to get over it. And I so I think um I think we I think we lean in and and take the experience and and own it as part of our story. I think about the early, my early my earlier years of you know of not feeling of not feeling I was worth much and not having any confidence. Um, I think I, I derived strength from from those two. So and that was the second part I was trying to get to is history being able to look back and my spiritual director is really who pushes me towards this um, because the next, there's always the next challenge. There's always, always the next heel to climb and to conquer and being able to look back and see that, okay, I, I have failed and I have learned and grown. This is just the cycle of leadership. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a picture recently and he also does a podcast. Um, and I think his podcast is all about failure, actually. <laughs> it's all about 100% about leadership failure. And he gave me this, this Japanese art called Kintutsuki, I think is what it's called. And it's, um, and I need to get that word correctly. Um, it's, it's just, a, it's a beautiful picture of what, of what we're trying to describe. But this is an art in, in, in Japanese, an art form that they take broken pieces of bowls and other types of items, and they 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 piece it back together, and they they outline the each pieces and glue it with with gold, and so it becomes this beautiful art. At the same time, you can see where it was broken, and so they're retaining those pieces of your story as part of this story moving forward. It's, and it becomes, it's actually really expensive. I mean, you can buy one bowl for like a hundred bucks. It's a broken bowl, but it's a, it's a broken bowl that has been mended, mended and its story is carved into. So that's, and the whole, and you know, that art, it tells a bigger story of 
who we are as people who have failed and are broken. And that is just part of our story to becoming even greater, becoming more worth, having more value, having. So I, I just think failure is, is a part of our story. And this is the last thing I would say. We, we live in a, in, a, in a culture that perhaps we don't allow for that. We don't share those stories. We don't, it's just missing. I think we try to eliminate every type of pain. And so we're, we're missing that as part of just a necessary part of our cultural identity. And we must redeem and recapture that. Preach, brother, preach. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I, I think that's the point I was trying to pull out of there is just because, just because the experience didn't go well, that doesn't mean you can't take something from it and be better for it and add value from it. Right. It's not necessarily a failure. It's a learning experience. Exactly. And I think we need to own the piece of our story. It's why I like the Kintsugi Japanese picture. I have seen those. They're super cool. They're super cool. It's just, it's, I think we just need to, uh, because I still struggle with, when I use a language, I'm haunted by the past of where I <laughs> bombed it. And I just need to embrace that as the reason why I can, I, I can be better. I am worth more is because of those experiences. So I need to own it. So I'm speaking to myself. I need to own it. Yeah. I think, I think there's, what what Travis is saying here, right, is like we know logically that every experience has something that adds opportunity or value back to our life through that experience. If we fail, there's something that we can pull good out of it. There's a silver lining. Right. But that's one thing to say that. And then there's another thing to actually own it. Like, how do you, is that something that just comes natural to you? Is that practice? What does that look like? Because I think owning your failures is part of your story, like you're saying, it's who you are to your core. And as soon as you own that, there's beautiful things that come out of it. But we're so bashful with letting ourselves be true to ourselves and to the people around us that we hide those things. And it's scary to put yourself out there with others. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great question. So when we talk about owning our story, it, it depends on where you are in that leadership journey. If you were just beginning like I was back when I was a 17 year old international student, it's, it's taking risk and trying out for the first time. And maybe when you're starting off, I think you need the care of others. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of mentoring and friend and that's a whole nother podcast. I, I truly believe every man needs a father, a brother and a son, and every woman needs a mother, a sister and a daughter. And that 360 degree care that we receive both from being poured into peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, which I called friend touring, and then being also the process of helping others really helps you grow and it creates those space of vulnerability where you can talk through that risk-taking experience. So if you're starting, I think those relationships are helpful. It's almost think of it as a coach, someone that is just coaching you to go for it and cheering you on. If you're in the middle or you're a seasoned leader, I think, and I'll speak for myself here, I don't want to speak for other leaders. I think sometimes we forget. When I think back at the areas that I took risk, at the end of the day, it worked out. I grew from it. Life, you know, the bottom didn't fall out and open up and I fell and I, it wasn't as, it was painful, it was hard, but I grew from it and it made me better. And it's easy to forget that. 
it's easy to be comfortable. And I own that my life is really comfortable. You know, I have everything pretty well set. And the next risk feels like a threat to this level of comfort. But when I look back at my history, I go, damn it. Yeah, that, <laughs> when, I, when I look back and see all the moments I took risk and you know, some worked out, some didn't work out, but even the ones that didn't work out, the, the areas that I grew the most, my worth and my greatness came out of those even more than the ones that did work out. Why don't I wanna do that? So I think as leaders, we can forget. Nobody likes pain and let's just, let's just be mindful of it. So answer is if you're starting, you need someone to cheer you on and be there to hold you and catch you. If you're, if you're in it, you still need people, don't get me wrong, but remember that that last risk led to some lessons learned, to some greatness and to, yeah, to your next steps. Yeah, that's the human element to this whole thing. Like biologically, it's scientifically proven that we are wired to avoid pain and we're wired to avoid risk because, right. you know, risk is where you die. In, right. in, the, you know, in, the, in the older days, you take a risk, you go out of the cave, you get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. And <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's the biological aspect to us being human. And right. so we're, we're naturally inclined to go to comfort but I think the, the spiritual and the intellectual aspect of that is we know that's not the best place for us to be. It's not going to be the most growth. It's going to be the most comfortable and the safest, but the safest place for us is not the place where we're going to grow and we're going to do big things from. Right. Right. Can we get a little philosophical with this for a second? Because I just think I connected an evolutionary dot in human behavior. I, I think you're right. I think we're evolving from this understanding of, okay, we had this, this real risk of life and death type risk with the activities that we had to do to stay alive. Then we found ourselves in this recent few century or so that things are pretty comfortable, getting more and more comfortable. And now we're realizing that that's not good for us either. So maybe the people like you two that are always doing stuff are actually ahead of the next evolutionary bell curve of like, we know that we can't just be stagnant and comfortable for the sake of the human species. That's right. I said, you guys are ahead of the evolutionary journey. I said it first. I received it. <laughs> Thank you for believing in us as more than <laughs> maybe I do myself. <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but as you were talking, I do think that there's a small amount of people and I think we're seeing more and more people start to realize finding their own true voice, their own truth, being able to own some of those hurtful and harmful experiences that have really defined them right. and realize like, hey, other people have stuff too. And if we can connect on that level, everything is better. We're more connected. Life is just better because we are together. I, I, I resonate with what you're saying. I, I think if we, when you strip our titles, you know, even, you know, I, I'm, I'm having the opportunity to actually meet and work with some fantastic leaders from across the state. Talk about my imposter syndrome is at an all-time high, sitting on Governor Polis's Economic Resiliency Council and sitting with some of these leaders. I mean, it's the president of Frontier Airlines. It's the it's president of Aspen Skiing Company and the guy that runs Formula One, Atlanta Braves, and Sirius XM, and some of these leaders. And when I begin to see some of these leaders, I see them in the element, and don't get me wrong, they're talented, 
but I began to realize that at the end of the day, they're, they're just humans and they are fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and grandparents and and inside most of us is a little boy and a little girl that is wanting to be seen, acknowledged, affirmed. And um, in fact, that's what drives some of this successes is this desire to prove. And I'm certainly in that camp. And when you begin to strip all of that, the titles and the accolades and the accomplishments and realize, oh, at the end of the day, these men and women as big and important as they are, they want to be seen. They just want to experience vulnerability. They want to, they want to be known. They want to connect on a human level. And I've had the chance to do that with a couple of them on that call. And, but for whatever reason, we, we don't get there. I don't know why, but yeah, Brandon, what you said just made me just trigger that. And that's, we do not get there, but that's ultimately what we want. And when we connect on that deep human level and we become, become vulnerable, vulnerable with each other, the sky is limitless. Like we can do a lot. Yeah, I think you hit on something there. Failure, and I think especially in America, but as humans, failure is seen as, as negative, but really failure is vulnerability. And I think the more we can normalize that it's okay to fail, it's okay to not have it all figured out the more we can normalize that and make it just a part of who we are. And that's okay. It's just a thing. Let's move on and keep doing, like keep pushing on. There's so much power in normalizing that and making it not so much, you know, so taboo to fail. Right. And maybe, maybe we need to be, maybe for, for the next person that puts a failure out there, maybe we need to, we need to celebrate them. I mean, for people who are trying, and so I'm, I'm, I'm um, brainstorming out loud. But maybe, maybe we need, to, maybe we need to bring, we need to start celebrating people who put it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and protect them from the world's negative messages. If people, if they're getting backlash, we need to put ourselves out there and just protect them and say, "Good for you," you know, proud of you. What would a culture of people who supported each other's failures look like? Like that, it, that would be a powerful culture. Right. Think about the amount of resources you could pull together if everybody was comfortable just trying and okay with failure because they knew the rest of the community or the people around them had their back. The human species would evolve so fast. You wouldn't even recognize it in like a hundred years. It'd be crazy the things we could accomplish. Right. I like your bringing back to that human species and, you know, yeah, how for me connects with how individual decisions really connect with the whole. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I think we have a new business idea here. <laughs> we we got we got to create a culture of people who are okay with failure. <laughs> yeah. Can we create an app for that? I love it. Yeah, it was, I was thinking it's, there's got to be an app for that. I feel like that's that's what you you kind of have to do, right? <laughs> with a great yeah. like, idea. The, the fail app. <laughs> we had a Are you familiar with Jesse Cole? The man in the yellow tuxedo? No. I've heard um, I have heard of that book. No, okay. I have, I've not read it. So he's one of the guests that we had on, and he uh, he actually has a burnt chicken award that he gives to his staff because they try to do a Thanksgiving dinner at one of their baseball games, and it failed miserably because they tried to feed an entire stadium of like eighteen thousand people in, in an hour and a half, 
and he's like people waited days for food (laughs) so they gave out a burnt chicken award because it was a crazy idea and that's what his whole business is modeled off of is people failing and he owned it i think that's that's to tie this back to what you were talking about right like he leaned into that and said yep this is our culture this is who we are and like you said with those pieces that you were piecing throughout these jobs and coming to find of yourself like own them lean into them because there's something golden to hold that bowl together in that that's good. Burnt chicken. Burnt chicken. Hey, one of the things, and I know you touched on how you manage it all earlier, but you slipped a statement in a while ago. You said, when I turn my people skills on, and it made me wonder, are you an introvert by trade? Like, does it exhaust you to be so much of a networker and connector, or is that what fuels you? Ambivert. Okay. Say more to that. And. I think I'm an ambivert. I mean, my last Myers-Briggs, which has been a few years ago, but it was interesting because I was, if this is the middle, if introvert is here and extrovert is here, I was really close to the middle, even though I was landing on an E. So ambivert are folks that are, you know, really in the middle. So it, it depends. So if I have been around people, a lot, I get exhausted and I refuel and I need to recharge alone. I really need that. And, but if I have been alone for a very long time, I can refuel by being around people. So that, so that in the, in the, in the sense of recharging, that's what that looks like in an introvert and an extrovert language. But even more so, I think the language you're asking about is one's social ability. I think I'm just naturally social but i'm social with a purpose at the at the, at the end of the day i I'm a, i, I want to solve problems i want to start a movement i want to start a revolution i want to i want to change minds and hearts actually um in my in my why statement in my website i prefer why be and not just um a bio a bio says what you do in my website i talk about why i do i feel like that's really important i use the language of being a serial collaborator around initiative and that I feel will have citywide impact. So that's what fuels me. So I'm, I don't even think I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't even think I'm an entrepreneur really. I'm a, I'm a collaborator. So that skill set to be able to be social, collaborate, bring people together for a purpose. That's really important. For being as social as I am, I'm really not social. I'm not like a party animal. I'm not on the weekends. I'd rather be myself. I have friends that on the weekend, sweet, it's time to go. No, I, so I find that skill more in a work sense, uh, wanting to solve problems, wanting to make things happen. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've learned about my, myself. Intentionally social. <laughs> yeah, that's something I got to learn. Because people drain me, but I love like things like this. I love when I'm there. It's super exciting, but I crash after even something like this. Huh. It's crazy. Like I facilitate workshops, leadership and development type workshops. During Do you the really? Yeah. So I'm actually an organizational development consultant by trade. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. That's my stuff like that is my jam. Yeah. I, me too. That's why whenever Travis was like, we got yummy on these starting to send me all your stuff. I was like, Oh, I can't wait. And then we haven't even <laughs> talked about any of that kind of stuff yet. We got about humanism and 
you know, the stuff that's probably a little more important. <laughs> if I wasn't doing what I, what I, what I'm doing, I'd be doing what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. Well, you do, you have some, you have a coaching business as part of your portfolio. I do. What specifically do you coach on? So coaching, I use strength. Um, I don't use it as much anymore. I've used it in the past and I've used it in between jobs. I have a business partner in that front. His name is Amber Ayers. I know Amber. She, yeah. So Amber is a partner in my coaching practice. So I'm niche coaching and consultant. Amber really runs the business. I don't as much. And Amber does a fantastic job. And so we we do anything from coaching individuals to coaching teams. And our big thing is helping people find a niche, um, helping companies find a niche, helping individuals find a niche, helping them from being stuck. And I like to say we're well, helping them be unstuck and creating aha moments like, huh, never thought about that. And then the consultant side of it is the same heart, but using the organizational experience to help teams and organizations help solve problems as well and getting into that aha moments and helping them to find a niche. So when you say helping people find their niche, you're specifically talking to like a business niche to get into. It's not just individual like personal development coaching, but it is actual business coaching. Yeah, business coaching. Yeah. And not niche as in the industry, you know, in terms of, you know, how to expand the market. It's usually in the organizational side of things. Say more. I'm a little bit confused because I would think of like, if I'm in a niche in a food truck industry, I'm in the taco niche. Yes, you're in the taco niche. We're, we're, we're helping leaders find the niche. So if it's in an organization, if it's an organizational sense, we're having leaders be better leaders. So find a niche in, in leadership. We're helping teams learn how to work together, you know, to be, uh, we're helping with, um, helping find a, um, the organi organizational culture niche. Um, gotcha. So it's more like an, it's more, internal it's more development it's more on the leadership development side as opposed to the market and the product side so you're kind of teaching people how to have a niche with their culture more right. so than with their offerings right we've done a couple of consulting and coaching where i actually took time off my amber if amber needs me for something bigger i'll actually would take like a half day vacation from work and go join her and I remember one that we did for an organization in town where the board was suffering. There was just so much conflict and misunderstanding with the board and the executive director. And, you know, we, we came in and had a session to help untangle that and help them find their, their identity and their culture. And we just call it, it's, it's a term that we use is helping them find their niche, their sweet spot. It's another term that we, that we use in our website is helping them but the sweet spot in the development organizational sense. Um, so yeah, but I'm not, I'm not as involved. In fact, I don't think I've done anything in that realm. I've been a good two to three years. I had, I had a handful of clients that I was meeting with as well, but I've not, um, you know, you find, you discover who you are and you make a business out of it. One of the things I write about in my why statements is I'm a natural developer of people. Another theme I've seen in every season of professional season of my life as a leader, you know, even when I was in my mid twenties, I didn't know what I was doing. I would meet with each one of my staff once a week. And one of the things I would ask them is, 
what are your goals and how can I support you and how can you be a better version of yourself and what do we need to do as and as a department, as an organization. I remember I was in my mid-20s, one of my staff members, this was when I was in manufacturing, uh, she was one of my quality control inspectors. And she said, well, I like this job. I have no real desire to go back to school or, you know, grow in, in this industry. And I said, is there anything though that you want to do and just grow and be better? And she goes, well, I think I want to be a better mom to my kids. And I'm in my mid-20s. I'm not even in a relationship. I said, well, how can I help you be a better mom? <laughs> I was trying to find a way to help her. And, um, but yeah, I, I learned that I, development is really important to me. So while I don't do that from a paycheck standpoint, I do that in, in the things that I'm involved with right now. So wait, let's go back. How did you help her be a better mom? I have to know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good question. Good question. I didn't. I, I, I mean, I didn't become a dad till what, four or five years ago. So I didn't know what I was doing. So I think I just champ. I just championed. He was a big champion of whatever she wanted to do. <laughs> Embracing that imposter syndrome, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I think you said it there though. Like I love this conversation about leaders and you've used leaders in a bunch of different contexts today. And I really like that about you. The language is consistent, but there are leaders in different places of your life where you be a leader and that looks differently in your different roles and with the different responsibilities that you have. But one of the things you just said on with leadership and you've touched on this a couple other times is you just champion it. Like, I think that's, something that's important to point out and bring back to what you started with, where you don't do all of this yourself. And these people have things that are important to them or skill sets that they have naturally champion that. And then you can do way less work because everybody else is doing everything for you. Right. Not that you can just lay down on the couch and get lazy. Like we talked about earlier. <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, uh, we, we actually, as leaders, we increase capacity. We work ourselves out of a job and solve the next problem. I think that's what we're called to do. I think that gives us meaning and purpose. And even entrepreneurship is solving a problem. Uh, we're always trying to solve a problem. Sometimes it's a problem that makes one a lot of money. Sometimes it's a problem that's strictly social benefit and you start a social impact or nonprofit. But we're constantly solving a problem and bringing people along to help solve this problem and increase in our capacity, we're increasing their capacity. One of the things I've learned over, over, time, over the last few years with leadership is people are hungry for the next opportunity. I mean, people are ready. People, our team, I mean, I don't wanna make it seem like we don't have any you know, challenges with team members and people who are not ready or hungry, but for the most part, people want to be given an opportunity. And so I think leaders that, do it all and not taking risk and then not be mindful of the people around them that they also want to help make a difference intrinsic in us is a desire to make a difference and as a, as leaders we're we're called to empower others and we have a staff member that is not displaying that i believe they have it so it's our job to help bring that out of them and it's why the people i lead even in my business until some of the recent challenges we have. Uh, but my business, we've always been a business of every one of our new staff, I'm always saying, what are you gonna do next? If you always, I usually would tell them, if 
if you're with one of our cafes after two years and I am not writing a letter of recommendation for a new job, I am not connecting you to a new job. I'm not writing a letter of recommendation to you before you go back to school. We have some that has, have gone back to Pikes Peak Community College in, in Colorado Springs for nursing. If you're not doing any of that stuff, I'm gonna be kicking you out. I literally say those words. I said, but if you're gonna stay longer, either you wanna grow into management or you wanna open up your own cafe and nothing excites us more than to help you in that process. So I think we're always helping people to move and people are hungry for that opportunity. I just don't, I think leaders are scared. Even when we talk about risk taking, the traditional notion is to hold on to people as long as you can. And you do that if you have mobility, if you have a process for them to move. But if you don't, I think that's poor leadership. I think it's upon us to help them succeed and to help them fly and to transition into the next steps. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I have experienced that recently. Our general manager at the brewery, just she's been in school for, I think, a semester now for, for nursing. And she got this amazing opportunity to go be an assistant at the hospital. And she was really scared to come talk to me oh. about that. And, you know, I, I hope that's not a reflection of the culture I've built, but she was just, she, <laughs> no, she, I heard that as a, she values you, she, but she does. But, and, and with conversation since then, it's been just like, man, I love FH beer works and I love this team and I love working for you, but my passion is elsewhere long-term. And, you know, I had that same conversation with her. How can I help you get to this new place? Like do it. You have to do it. You have to do it. Don't let my brewery hold you back from where you want to be. Right. How can I be an assistant to that? And how, how can I be the guy that helps you successfully move on? And she, she loves the brewery so much. She's still going to do our books on the side in addition to her full-time job. I often find that to be true. They're so loyal when you empower people. They become so loyal and they, they often still want, we still call in some of our old team members when we need help. And they're like, yeah, we'll help you. Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's just, it's, it's awesome to see. She's been with us since I think 2016. She started as a bartender and, you know, moved up to general manager. And I was sad to see her go. She's amazing. And, and we love her. And, you know, it, there, there is a hole created when somebody leaves like that, but I'm okay with it because she's doing now what she was made to do. And, the four years that I gave her to grow and to learn and to become who she is have put her into the position where she feels like she's comfortable moving on to the next thing, even though it's scary. And so that was just really reaffirming to me about, you know, some of the leadership stuff that I'm doing is she didn't want to leave, but she knew she had to, right. and she did. And I helped her. And it was just, it was an amazing interaction. Awesome. That's good stuff, Travis. That's that's seeking human flourishing right there. Yep. One of the one of the things you guys both just talked about is being able to champion others and at some point forcing them to figure out how they're going to move on and grow. Otherwise, you're kicking them to the curb. It sounds like I think my parents said something like that when I turned 18. I can't remember. But you know, it's funny. I, I tell my seven year old that. <laughs> Poor kid. It's like seriously, dad wants to kick me out. <laughs> you you've already got the countdown. <laughs> of course I'm gonna support him. I'm gonna, you know, I'll be there to catch him when I when he falls. Yeah. 
I don't think you're crossing any boundaries there. There are seven-year-olds making millions of dollars on YouTube. That kid needs to get a job. Start <laughs> helping you play some bills. I start showing him those videos. Like, hey, son. I feel like that's a whole nother conversation we could have about parenting in this with, with this idea. How do we lead our kids to a place where they can flourish and not, you know, I, I don't want to be their dictator. I want to oh, be their How about parenting fail? Oh, yeah. So where do well, I start? Yeah, like, <laughs> we need to talk about that. Like uh, parents are, we need that safe, safe place to know that they're not alone. I think you guys need to, I, you need, well, I, I come back for a conversation around parenting and failures. Yeah, no, par- <laughs> parenting, I think parenting is one of the most vulnerable places where if you screw up, like people eat you alive for it as a parent. <laughs> there is no grace. Honestly, a good parent eats themselves alive. I think I go to bed, go, ah. Damn it, I feel so guilty the way I responded to my son. I was too harsh on him. And yeah. So I'm I'm interested in this. Can we can we dig into that a little bit? Because I'm the only one on this because not a parent. And and it's crazy to me because I talk to my groups of friends that are new parents, or Travis, you've obviously been a parent for a little while now. And they all tell the same stories of how tired they were and the disasters and how they felt like they failed as a parent at certain times, but they won't share those conversations with the other parents in their peer group. Why? That's that, that comes back to everybody sharing that. That's the whole conversation we're having. Why is that a parenting faux pas? I, I mean, I'll put my input into this. I think parenting is just a, like you're asking to just fail all the time because as your kids grow, like they do new things and it's a new phase they're in. And it, it like, it's always new and you, it's not on my terms. It should always be common to fail then. It, well, it should be, but it's, but it's not. And so I, I think parenting is one of the areas in our culture, at least that there is zero grace for failure from other people as a parent. Like you, if you're, if you're failing as a parent, you're affecting this kid who's going to grow up to, you know, be a dirtbag. Like that's, that's kind of the, the <laughs> rhetoric and it, it could be just a, a simple failure and, and we're all going to do it. You know, and the other part of that is like, I have a nine and seven year old when I fail as a dad, I have to go to a seven-year-old and ask for his forgiveness. Right. <laughs> like, you know, right. it, there's just such a, there's such a maturity gap there, but we still, as parents mess up, we fail and we have to then go and, and own it again. Like it, it's about owning, owning your parenting. Uh, you know, am I, am I creating this human to be the best human they can be? It's the same thing with leading your employees. My job isn't to raise a kid. My job is to raise an adult. If I'm not giving my kid the tools to become a successful, productive adult at seven years old, then I'm not doing it right. But as a seven-year-old, he doesn't even know who he is yet, really. Who's he going to be as an adult? I'm trying to parent this kid to something that we have no idea where he's even going yet right? Mm -hmm. and foster those strengths that we see in them from day one. Um, and, And there's just like that is a natural place where there is going to be some failure you're going to mess that up Demi. yeah brandon it's it's a powerful question that you ask and it's scary it's scary to answer i I think it's even safer too for people uh, for adults to say yeah that job didn't work out and to say i failed there i think it's more scary for them to say i'm failing as a parent i'm failing in my marriage I'm failing as a spouse. I think that's that's a whole whole this whole message that you guys are trying to normalize. It's even more dangerous and 
in familial relationships. And it's in part because we are, we're a culture of perfectionism. We're a culture that doesn't allow mistakes. We don't allow grace. We judge each other, even when the person that is judging is also struggling. This whole social media pandemic, I'm calling it a pandemic now. The social media pandemic has just made it worse because the, the whole experience is built on success and joy and things are going well when you know, and I know this for sure, because some of my friends that have, I have great posts, I'm in friend to relationship with, and I know that there's a struggle that happened that same day. So everyone is afraid to put it out there. Who wants to be the first to take the risk? So I think you guys are challenging us to put it out there. My wife and I certainly practice that because certain things in our lives caught us off guard. Our first year of marriage, we didn't make, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't make it. My wife moved out. I went through one of the darkest. My biggest fear came true. One of the reasons that kept me so captive of not wanting to make a decision to be married. My wife came from Indiana to join me here, and I had no promise that we would even be engaged. I was so crippled by the idea of getting married because I've seen failures happen. And I didn't want to experience that. So the best way to avoid failure is not to try. I remember my counselor, Dr. J, who's one of my dear friends and friend tour now, he, he just, he pushed me over the edge. It's the first time I saw him suspend counseling and go into full on coaching mode. <laughs> he wasn't asking me how I felt. He was like, just pushing me and saying, what is the worst thing if it doesn't work out? And I couldn't answer. I was trying to give him all these answers. And, I, and that, that, that conversation allowed me to try it out. And then it didn't work out. My worst fear came true. That haunted me. I mean, we weren't separated for um, very long. And then we, we got back together, went through counseling, worked things out. And then you fast forward. And we take that same fear into the parenting journey. You want to have kids and it doesn't work out for you to have kids. And you don't know where to turn because everybody looks like, you know, they decided when to have kids, it just happened. <laughs> that's, like, that's the impression that you get because, you know, you work so hard to prevent it because you're not ready. When it's time to have it, it's not working out. So what do you do? And we, then we began to realize through counseling, and finally, when people started becoming vulnerable, get to realize, oh, you had that story too? Your marriage, in, your marriage almost failed? Your marriage didn't work out? Oh, she left, he left, you were separated, you almost got divorced, you couldn't have kids? Wow. And then we had to realize, oh, this is stories, especially in familiar relationships, are very common, but we're all hush, hush about it. So what my wife and I started doing is giving people the gift of that vulnerability. So we open our hearts and homes and mind to, to couples and people that we're usually, especially my wife, even anytime I'm my wife, she's just not afraid to, to go there. And so we're usually putting it out there to normalize it. There have been some times that this is a lesson I would say, uh, it becomes part of normal talk for me in this space. Now the leadership space is different. But sometimes when I'm meeting people for the first time with some pastors, like there have been a couple of pastors I've met with for the first time and we're trading stories. And right away, I start telling the story of my marriage failure 
where it didn't work and where I went wrong, where my wife went wrong. And I didn't realize I'm just putting in this a normal part of the story. And then the use, response is usually like, wow, I'm not used to that. I really appreciate you putting that out there. And then what that does is allow their vulnerability, especially from people like pastors where it's supposed to be perfect. God knows that we're the worst. <laughs> so yeah, but that that is that is so true. This and you know, when if you have my wife on this call, she would tell you that that struggle is real, even with how ladies compare this whole experience of being a mom. You know, like are you breastfeeding your kids? Are you not breastfeeding? You, you didn't breastfeed your you're, you're a failure. And that struggle was real for my mom. And I'm sure Travis, your wife too, Nikki, when and now kids are younger, and there's just so much. But everyone, we paint this picture of, you know, we're all succeeding. And the reality is, it's a bunch of crap. No one is succeeding on it. No one is succeeding on the marriage. No one is succeeding on parenting. We're all failing. And I wish we would just be more vulnerable and just because healing comes. And then when, when my wife struggled and where she wanted, felt like our marriage needed to be over, was she literally thought she was the only one. Everybody else looks like they're having a great time but us that's what not admitting our failures does it allows it it leads to more broken marriages and then uh, just broken marriages leads to more broken households and broken because part of that experience is feeling lonely um yeah that's that's Brandon, that's, a, that's a courageous question the, the theme of this episode it's normal but it's not normalized right I love that. Good word, Travis. Yeah. Okay. That that stuff. Everybody has it, and we don't want to talk about it. Right. It's part of the human experience. We win. We're successful. When we fail, we don't win, and we need to celebrate that. Um, have you guys had Lisa to start with on your call? No. She'd be a good one. Lisa is. She's a mom now, and focusing on two kids, but she's an anchor in this community as an investor and as an entrepreneur. She founded um, Epicentral, the co-working place. Oh, okay. The first one in town, her and Hannah Parsons mm-hmm. built that when nothing was going on in Colorado Springs. But Lisa used to have, at Epicentral, they would have like a, a business wake. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. They had like a wake, a funeral service to celebrate business failure. And they would have up to 60 or 80 people attend these events where it, it was like an annual wake, you know, to, and they would have, you know, it was like a legit like funeral service to acknowledge and to honor the idea. So it's not always just a business. It was also an idea. It was a way of celebrating the entrepreneur, the person that put themselves out there. It didn't work out. We're not going to pretend like it never happened. We're gonna bring it to the forefront. We're gonna make an event out of it. And we're gonna hear you. We're gonna mourn with you. I'm gonna celebrate your life, the life of that idea, the life of that business. Epicentral used to hold a, an annual wake. It would be interesting to bring someone like Lisa to hear her perspective. Yeah, we, would, you, would you be willing to connect us? Yeah, I'd be happy to, yeah. I don't know her personally, but that, that sounds like a great conversation. Um, well, it would just be interesting to hear a perspective from as one who organized an event to celebrate failure. Yeah, no kidding. That that's a, I mean, that's that's such a powerful event. How do you think we can start to foster that culture of 
celebrating failures in our businesses, in our marriage? I know this is probably a loaded question, but maybe not, it doesn't have a, a short answer, but just in general, in all of these things, it's the same pattern. How do we start to foster the celebration of failure as a culture? Just like, let's talk about America. How do we as a culture start to foster that? And perhaps I answer the question too quickly because that's why I brought up that example, you know, of what Lisa and Michelle, who was leading Epicentral back yeah, then, doing. That's a that's a great think, example. How, think, how can we take that to the next yeah, level? How can we take that to the next level? What you guys are doing is a big part of that. What my buddy is doing too in his podcast around failure, we don't have enough of that. I think we make it mainstream. I think what you guys are doing need to become mainstream. I think what Lisa and Michelle are trying to do with the wake and memorial services, I think need to be mainstream. It's still, it's still very much, you know, you don't want to talk about it. There's embarrassment. There's a lot of shame. I think that's, that's really important. I think from an individual, so I think we create a movement out of it and leaders lead the way. We're more entrepreneurs around this. And this is what you guys are doing. This is an entrepreneurial effort to celebrate failures and not make it a shameful experience. So what you guys are doing and others, I think we need a hundred times more of it. And I and I'll also end this. I, I think leaders need that space to be vulnerable. I think le- leadership and entrepreneurship is a very lonely experience. We're alone in our struggles. We're alone in our failures. And I think we need a friend, a mentor, a father figure, a brother, a son. Those spaces where we're able to get it out to normalize it. Even the two guys that I mentor, it's helpful for me to tell them, one of them I ended up doing his wedding. It's helpful for me as him being a, a young married, not quite a year for me, for him to ask me questions and for me to be honest about my failures as a husband and as a dad. The process of getting it out there is victory. That baby step, just being able to tell somebody else, being able to say, I was scared. I am scared. I am still scared. I don't know what I'm doing. That's how we normalize it. We, we're so isolated in our culture. Uh, we're not, we've moved away from increasingly moving away from this idea of community and we're isolated in our experience and our thoughts and we're individuals. And we need to break that curse by having people in our lives where we're able to just admit, I'm afraid. I failed. I'm, a, I'm afraid to lead. I'm not a leader. I, I'm an imposter. I'm, and I'm scared that somebody's going to find out. And that's mine. <laughs> scared somebody's going to find out. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. yeah. Just need to talk I, about it. I have nothing to offer. And it's just a big. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably one of the areas that I practice personally is having a very intentional, intentional relationship. So they're relationships that I have that I meet on a monthly basis for the purpose of what we're trying to say. One of them is my spiritual director. We meet every second Tuesday of the month over lunch. I'm meeting with Rhea. We've had the six-year relationship. I guarantee if Rhea were on this call, she would, she would probably shake her head because she would tell you that I cry in every session. I do. I cry in every session with Rhea and I don't do that normally. I do that at times, but when I'm with Rhea, I cry. And she then pushes me so one of the exercises she gave me is because I'm a type three in the Enneagram, I don't like negative things. I want to avoid them. So she challenged me to sit in those negative criticism. And I'm going to do that in this space that I'm sitting in. 
away from the kids and sit in those criticism and then balance it with the positive things that I'm hearing and to really be able to enter the space of growth of being able to handle negative criticism and those ones that feel like they, they linger and how it doesn't matter, but the positive messages of what God says to me is more important. But I think we need those spaces. I have a guy that I meet with every month and Keith will ask me, how's your soul? Well, what, what are you most afraid of right now? And then I own that, you know, I'm still afraid that Abby and my marriage is not gonna work out. And he asked me that question and I started crying in a call. I didn't realize that, that because we had that experience in my first year of marriage that I didn't realize it's lingered. And so I said it, I hadn't told anybody. I said it there and I was like, I just said that. And I didn't realize how much it's, it was holding me back. And so I have a fear of failure. And then he pushes me to go, well, you and Abby need to talk about that. And you know, where, where there's, where there's fear, there's no freedom. But those for me come out of, so Travis, to answer your question, leaders need those relationships where they can be vulnerable. It's the first step. To ask them to do it publicly, it's hard to ask them to do that when they can't do it with one other person that they trust. Yeah, they need a safe space, not just a space. Right. Yemi, this is so powerful. Thank you so much for being with us, giving us your time, being so graceful with your honesty and your truth. If people want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Or just see what you're doing because you got a lot going on, my man. <laughs> I do have a lot going on. I, I hesitate to put anything out there because I want, I want to be disciplined about being able to get back to people. But yeah, because I, I am involved in so much and I, I, um, I am my own um, admin of trying to maintain my five different places of communication, but it's easy to find me. If you really do want to get a hold of me, I, make my, I will make myself accessible. I'm on Facebook facebook.com slash yemi.mobilade. You pretty much you could do anything in any of that. LinkedIn slash yemi.mobilade. I have a website, yemi.mobilade. My email, yemi.mobilade. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those unique names that, you know, I can claim in pretty much every platform. So I'm, I'm, I'm easy to get a hold of, uh, good or bad. You can type in Google and and, and, and find how to get a hold of me. But um, get a hold of me if you truly want um, a push in the right direction. And I'm committed to that because I'm a developer at heart. So I would love to hear, listen, push you in the right direction. This was a, an amazing, powerful conversation, man. I'm glad we got to sit down with you for an hour or so. And what an honor. Appreciate you being with us. I look forward to seeing what you're going to do next. Just keep pushing on, my friend. Thank you. We're, we're, we're doing the hard stuff. So. Just keep doing the hard stuff and let's, uh, let's normalize failure. Right. And I, and back at you guys, grateful for the work you guys are doing in normalizing failure and Travis, your question, you guys are answering it. You guys are doing it and sharing stories of leaders who are normalizing it. So keep doing this. I think it's powerful. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you being with us and, uh, we're, we're hoping that there's a lot of value for our listeners out there in this conversation. So thanks again. Yep. We will hopefully talk to you soon. Perfect. Good to see you. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Be well, guys. <laughs>